The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And today's show is meant to be an interactive discussion. So if you are listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. Facebook users, you can also message us during the show from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner, and your anonymity is always respected. So today's show, perhaps all of us have at one time or another been hurt by unfounded gossip. Somebody else has chosen to speak for us inappropriately. And how do we avoid triangulation, inauthentic relationships, and boundary violations? Today, we want to share with you how we learned to live a life of serenity using the spiritual principle of personal anonymity. And we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of being overly concerned with self and then move into the solution of that principle of anonymity. And after the break, we'll share exactly how the principle of anonymity helped us move from self to serenity. So, Lonnie, what were your early experiences of self-focus early in recovery? Well, I had no clue that that was a piece of the problem that I had. You know, I suffered... um, from hero syndrome where I'm out fixing everybody else and I'm giving, giving, giving all the time. And how can I be self-centered if I'm always giving? That was kind of my mindset when I walked in the door. I did not understand what they were talking about. Self-centered. Selfishness and self-centeredness, that is the root of our problem, they say. I didn't recognize it. Well, I knew it was the root of their problem, but I didn't (laughs) recognize it in myself either. And and it was a I have to say, this is not a topic I like to talk about. It's a little horrifying to realize, and it still is. You know, I feel embarrassed sometimes 
when I think back about how self-oriented I was and I still see it, you know, it's not like it's completely gone. It's, it's well-tempered and it's balanced and, uh, you know, much more healthy. And certainly it's okay to be thinking about, you know, how is this going to affect me and, and where do I fit into all this? The, the trouble is if, when that was my sort of main way of being in the world. And I remember that at that time I was always, it seemed that I was always worried about something or other. And, you know, we talk about a thousand forms of fear. And one way that that showed up in me is that it constantly kept my mind on sort of in a safety mode. You know, am I going to be okay? What do I need? And it becomes a I, I, me, me, me thing all the time, just simply out of fear and out of a, a, a feeling of a lack of safety in some sense, you know, and it wasn't it's not like I was physically unsafe. You know, there's emotional, there's just sort of a, um, I guess I would call it more of just a spiritual, just not connected, grounded, did not feel safe in the world um, in many ways. I echo that. You know, I, I can remember laying awake at night thinking about what was likely to occur and what was going to happen and where I was going to go and who was going to be there. And then purposefully scheming and manipulating in my mind how to make it turn out the way I wanted it to turn out, whatever the event was. Um, that was purposeful on my part, but I didn't recognize that as self-centered. I can look back at it now and go, well, yeah, I, did. I wasn't had no concern for anybody else involved what their needs were, what the goals were, what the objectives are, whether it was the right thing to do or not, my full objective was to get what I wanted. And that's pretty self-centered. Yeah, that's one of those things that I think shows up only in hindsight, because like a lot of this, uh, and we know this about uh, addiction and recovery, is that um, when we are in the middle of an active addiction, whatever it might be, could be, you know, substance or behavior or, or what have you, a relationship, uh, we are literally unaware of what's going on. We're the last one to know. It's, it's astonishing um, how true that is. I know that um, I, this is something that's changed a lot. I did not like to be wrong about anything. I didn't feel safe if I was wrong. Um, if I didn't understand how something worked, I didn't feel safe and okay in the world. And so I was highly motivated to make sure I understood how things worked so that I could feel okay. And I was so attached to my security through understanding that if, if, if I came to a situation where I was in a conflict and someone's saying, no, that's not how it works, I was really motivated that my way was the right way. Because if it wasn't, then I wasn't safe. And I would just thought I was safe. Uh, so it was very hard for me to shift gears and to um, be wrong about anything. I really loved that uh, concept of, you know, I'm not wrong. I have an alternative correctness. Uh, let me explain how I see everything. And then you will realize that uh, if you see everything the way I see everything, I'm actually right, you know, in that world. Uh, it, it was crazy. I, I'm glad to say I, I don't really do that so much anymore. You know, you've mentioned both security and fear multiple times. And, and it seems like for me that um, every time I drill down on something, some behavior, some external expression that has been either pointed out to me or that I don't like about myself, something that I'm working on, that's what's at the root of it, is that I don't feel safe and I'm in fear. I'm not going to get what I want. 
or something I have is going to be taken away from me. That's that's pretty typical that that uh, uh, that triggers these exp- expressions, these outer expressions, you know, and they can show up in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, the spiritual principle of the first step is honesty. I didn't think I was dishonest, but when I got into the program and realized um, I was told that manipulation is dishonest, you know, white lies are dishonest, omitting facts are dishonest, pretending to be somebody I'm not is dishonest, and all of those were coping skills. They were all ways in which I made my way in the world in a way that made me feel safe. Absolutely. I I, I think it's been my experience that all of this comes down to uh, a lack of uh, feeling safe in the world, and that comes from a thousand forms of fear, like we read in the in the literature, I think everything that we can talk about today related to um, living in a way that's very self-oriented or self-centered, I can draw a direct line to a particular fear even in myself. I, I remember the first time I heard that um, shyness is an ego trip. Have you ever heard that? I had a spiritual teacher that says shyness is an ego trip. Well, I've been a shy person my entire life. I did not like to hear that. And but part of me was curious, like what, you know, wh- wh- where are you getting that? How on earth is shyness an ego trip? Someone who's on an ego trip is the loudmouth, right? That's constantly trying to get everyone to do things their way and trying to make friends with everybody. You know, outgoing people. I uh, I inherently mistrusted outgoing people because I was such a shy introvert. Well, now I get it. Shyness is me saying, well, you know, what I have to say is not nearly as important or worth sharing, or I need to keep it to myself. I'm segregating myself out of self-centeredness. It's absolutely an ego trip. It's just the, it's just the other side of the very same coin as that stereotypical boisterous bragging kind of ego trip. It's the quiet internal sort of ego trip. So now I get it. And I'm really glad that my teacher said that, although that was, that was quite a uh, journey to understanding. Yeah. You know, we talk about balance so much and ego's out of balance. You know, instincts out of balance is the way the literature puts it. You know, we, we, to survive, we either, uh, we try to be the best and let everybody know it, or we try to hide and those are opposite ends of the spectrum. That, there is no balance in that. You know, and I remember when I first came in that, that I was told that we are egomaniacs with an inferiority complex. <laughs> and so what am I acting out of today? Am I acting out of my egomania and trying to be bigger and better than everybody else? Or am I acting out of my inferiority complex and trying to hide under a rock? You know, and we, and we talk about that in unity all the time, how playing small does nobody any good. But yet, it's it's a piece of our coping skill as we as we uh, start to grow in this program. Yeah, I'm reminded of that intense again, drawing right back to fear that this internal neediness that I had that again I didn't recognize it uh, until later. But there it is that I couldn't get past that in order to be present for others. You know, just the, some abilities that I have learned and practiced over time. Uh, through my recovery and ministry training and, and whatnot. You know, one of them is the ability just to uh, witness someone's experience with them, you know, without an agenda, without anything that I need to teach, that I think they need to know, 
um, with nothing other than a willingness to simply be there in that experience with them. I really couldn't get past uh, my internal neediness years ago in order to be present with someone in that way. And uh, again, I might say this a lot today. I have a lot of gratitude around all the changes, and that's one of them. I'm so glad that I don't have to live that way now. You know, one of the books that I read early on in my recovery was called Improving Your Serve, and it was by Chuck Swindoll really early. And, and you know, I was reading because I was puzzling with this. Why is it called codependency when I do it, when I reach out, when I try to help somebody else? And why is it called love when Jesus did it? You know, and it, it comes down to the motivation. My motivation was fear. I was, I was acting out of fear to get, you know, to whatever I was reaching, you know, here, do you have enough? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to be without. And so I'm going to share some with you, but hopefully you'll share it back with me if I need something. So it was a bargain. You know, I was doing this, this scorekeeping kind of thing. And when I started investigating this question, what is the difference it comes down to the motive, the self-centeredness. What's in it for me? Absolutely. I think that's a great question and, and one that you know, we ask ourselves as part of 12-step work, but also it's, it's a, a, I find it a good and valuable thing to ask and at any time along the way. You know, what, what is happening now? What, what is my motivation? What, what am I trying to get if I'm trying to get something? Do I have an outcome in mind? Do I have an agenda? basically is it what is on my agenda if i have an agenda what's my motivation um i know that my whole sense of self was sort of wrapped up in that and as it's wrapped up in the need to feel safe and, and so it was such a core part of my experience in the world and it was the only experience in the world that i knew and had ever had that it, it really became my sense of who i was my sense of self was um or my Yes, my sense of self defined by this need to feel safe, driven by this fear of not feeling safe. You know, and the, the what about me question, um, when I think about it later, I realize it was based in self because I was only concerned with how I could meet my own needs. In other words, it was based in a lack of faith. I had no faith in anybody around me, in a higher power, in any other kind of a concept. And so, yeah, you know, it's, it's down to us. I think yeah. it sounds like we both felt the same way. Yeah. It's all about me, truly. Okay. So now that we know about the challenge of self-centeredness, what is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that God is principle, the one presence and one power active in the universe and in our lives. This is the new, new thought tenet, the core of the new thought approach to spirituality. It's the lens that we see all of creation and everything in it through. And so the principle that can help us heal and grow from self-centeredness in recovery is the spiritual principle of anonymity. And that's what we want to focus on today. But how can anonymity help us heal and grow? And doesn't that just mean that nobody knows your last name or is there more to that? Dan, what did the word anonymity mean to you when you first heard it used in recovery circles? When I first heard it used, it was 100% about that nobody would know that I, quote, had a problem. You know, I'm using air quotes, had a problem. Uh, I thought my problem was alcohol. You know, I learned, uh, as we uh, have been discussing, my problem was, you know, that was uh, ran deeper than that. 
that was in fact a symptom. But when I thought about anonymity at first, it literally, it was just about, I don't want anybody to know that, uh, that I'm in recovery. I don't want anybody to know that I have a problem uh, with drinking or, or anything. So it was all about that. You don't tell, you know, people in recovery groups don't tell other people who else is there. That was a hundred percent of what anonymity meant to me at first. Now I'm, I'm glad to say that, that, that changed and grew and expanded. And what do you think? Well, when I, w- when I first heard the word anonymity, I felt exactly the same way you did. You know, I was terrified that I would know somebody there or that somebody would know that I was, was going to these meetings and that therefore I would be judged. And th- then therefore I would not be good enough in somebody else's, else's eyes. But I, I always thought that anonymity meant that I was unknown. Nobody knew who I was. And I'm not talking about in the halls, I'm just talking about in general, that I don't matter, that I blend into the crowd, that there's nothing special about me. And and that was kind of the, so I'm, I'm thinking when I hear this, I'm going, anonymity is a spiritual principle. You know, how is, an, how is not being special a spiritual principle? Yes. What, what's up with that? Yeah, I felt the same way. Anonymity, a spiritual principle. You mean not wanting anyone to know that I'm here is somehow a spiritual principle. That there was no, I could not connect those two things if it, if my life depended on it early on. I did evolve uh, in my understanding in one way that my um, experience of or relationship with anonymity evolved is into the understanding that, okay, it's not about me. It's about us. So anonymity went from, you know, again, personal, driven by a personal fear, my definition driven by a personal fear, to a definition that was a a group, a collective thing. Oh, anonymity is not just about me. Yes, it does mean that you don't go tell someone, oh, Dan, so it was at the meeting. Yeah, it means that. That's just the sort of entry level. But But it's also about us as a group. And and that general shift from me to us has been a big part of uh, my recovery journey over time. You know, coming, it's really about coming into balance. It's not that it's not okay for me to think about, you know, what's in it for me, what is the impact on me. It is okay to think about those things, but but not so much if that's where it stops. You know, if that's all I'm capable of doing, then then I need to do some growing perhaps. Well, and the first thing that that hearing that principle did for me, anonymity, was I was afraid to say anything to anybody about anything. And that was probably a good thing because I didn't stir the pot then, you know, <laughs> when otherwise I might have. And, um, and, and I was told the same things that you just alluded to, you know, about not sharing who's in meetings and, you know, what, what goes on here stays here. And, you know, and all of that, according to the history uh, of the program, was the origin was fear you know, to begin with, but then it evolved into keeping our egos right-sized, you know, and I've come to a place where I believe that, that my ego is, um, is rooted in my survival mechanism, and it's, it's all about the physical, emotional me and making me feel okay. It's not about what about what's in it for everybody else. And so, you know, when, when, Anna, well, for one of the exercises I was given, for example, was to go do three good things every day and don't get caught, and if you do get, you know, because when I do something good, I'm, I'm looking for, I want to be noticed. You know, at that point in time, I wanted to be noticed. I wanted to say, pat me on the head and say, good job, keep it up, you know. And so it, that required some spiritual growth on my part, to be able to do good in the world without having to be recognized for it. Yeah, there are all kinds of 
uh, traps and tricks around that. Like, like I could go around doing all kinds of nice things for people, uh, and they don't know who it is. But, but then if I go telling everyone I know how much I love doing that, you know, <laughs> I've just kind of defeated the whole thing. It's like I want to tell everyone how humble I am so they'll realize that I'm great. Um, one concept that was super helpful for me in in shifting from me to we, if you will, is the concept of a, of the group conscience. You know, that came up early on in my experience in uh, recovery groups, recovery meetings and circles. Just and I hadn't really heard that. I got it. I okay. So it's it's you know we're we're going to make decisions based on collectively what feels seems like the right thing to do. And we're all going to participate in that and, and be a part of it, the group conscience. And that was super helpful to realize, okay, I can, I can be a part of this without it having to be all about me. You know, this, this group apparently has been able to make it this far. You know, my, my home group, started in 1945. So they made it from 1945 till when I walked in the door. How? I don't know. Uh, you know, <laughs> th they'll probably be okay whether I think we should turn left or turn right. And, and the fact that the group has made it so that we got this far helped me a lot to uh, calm down and let it be about us. Again, the anonymity, it's not so much about me. It's about, it's about us and doing things together, not because of this person or that person. You know, the group conscience was really a, a great place for me to learn about this because I, I kind of took a statistical approach to it. Ten heads are better than one, so if nine of them say one thing and I'm thinking something else, I'll go along with the nine. Well, that's not really a group conscience. You know, the way I understand it today, it's more about how God expresses or our higher power expresses through the consciousness of the people in the group that we arrive together with the best solution for everybody. It's not a, it's not a numbers game of, of we versus them, you know, it, it passed seven to three or what have you. And so, but I got to see that in action and I have an example of one where um, I guess I'll, at this point, I'll talk about person, you know, principles over personalities. That's where I got to see it in action was in the group conscience. We had a situation where there was somebody that was a convicted pedophile that came into our group and somebody blabbed it all over the group. First of all, that was a break in that person's anonymity. It was nobody's business what their legal history was. you know. And the second thing was then it came to the group conscience about, well, should we throw them out or not? you know. And that, too, was not um, an appropriate type of thing, but the question came up, and so the group had to deal with it. And so in this group, there's this debate. And it went back and it went forth because I don't know how many people are aware of this, but there's an awful lot of women in the programs that have been abused in the past. And they, they had some very definite opinions about that. Um, and, you know, there were some very staunch old timers in the group that said principles over personalities. They're, the only requirement for a membership is a desire to stop using or drinking, period, you know, and so the debate raged back and forth, and I was witness to this, and the group came out on the side that he gets to stay. He wants to get clean and sober. He gets to stay, and everybody else had to do whatever they needed to do for themselves, but I could see the wisdom of the group, how that evolved through that group conscience by, you know, I mean, and it came up because of an anonymity break, but it was not so-and-so's decision because they're the old-timer in the room. It was the group. Right, exactly. And I, I love the way that that's kind of a natural balance. You know, even when I've, even times 
when I have seen an old timer who seemed to want to just be able to stand up and speak emphatically and have things go their way, uh, it does. That's not how it works. You know, there might be a newcomer that says, "Hey, what about this?" and and the the "Hey, what about this?" question might be you know, something that's been discussed in this group 50 times in the last 20 years. So what it's, if it's still an issue, if it's still on the table, it's as valid a discussion point as anything might ever be. So I love the way that the group stays in balance naturally. And even the people who've been around for a long time, they don't get to dictate how things are. You know, maybe they forgot what it was like when when they were new or or maybe we take some things for granted and then a newcomer comes in and starts asking about them. This is all really positive stuff. And I think it's a way, as you're saying, that it is about principles and not about personalities because we, we circle back to the idea, not who's saying, not who said we should do A, B, or C, but let's talk about the merits, the ups and downs of A, B, and C. It's not about who said it. It doesn't matter if it was a newcomer that brought the idea or an old timer or what. I've noticed along the way too, and this really helped me a lot. You know, we have this part of this principle that says, you know, just don't take yourself so seriously. You know, can we just relax a little bit? That was part of me letting go of fear. Was, can I, you know, can I just chill out? And I realized at some point that even when my home group was discussing something and I knew for sure 100% the way that this should go. And it's driving me crazy. Why don't these people see this? And, you know, we should... Don't I don't even want to hear them talk and all, all this crazy stuff that we can't make a wrong decision. We really can't. Uh, you know, whether we're g- going to decide who brings cups and how the coffee gets managed and all that. Because if we do make a, quote, wrong decision, and I've seen that, if it really was not the group conscience and we were mistaken, it will turn itself around, probably at the ne- very next business meeting. I've seen that as well. So, yeah, you might feel like we're getting off the rails at one moment well the the group conscience just brings it right back on the rails and that's the beauty of principles over personalities it's let's talk about what matters not who said it i love that yeah and you know when we talk about principles it's really hard to shift at least it was for me to shift from the um the personality involved you know, the, the old timer that always had a definite opinion, the person who could find anything in the book, uh, the person who seemed to make a good emotional appeal, but it, I don't know if it was based on anything else. You know, it, it was really hard to shift for me to shift from personalities to, to a principle, which is what anonymity is not. If we're talking personalities, we're not talking anonymity. We're talking about right. specifics. And so, you know, to shift into principle, what does that look like? And for me, Understanding what a spiritual principle was helped, and the tool that I used was, um, if I had to make a decision about something, is, well, what would I do if it was my sister? What would I do if it was my brother? What would I do if it was my mom? What would I do if it was my best friend? What would I do if it was my spouse? If I got the same answer, what what would I do if it was my worst enemy? Mm. If I got the same answer, no matter whose name I put in in the blank, I was pretty close to operating out of principle. If my answer changed, depending on whose name was in, <laughs> in, the, in the blank space, then I'm operating out of personality and I'm letting personality influence my decisions. I love that. I'm going to steal that. What a great way to approach something. But hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you as we continue the conversation. The phone number to dial is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. 
We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling, those sights that we're seeing, those sensations that we're experiencing, and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm. As we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation, remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. For over 23 years, Liz Dawn and her team at Celebrate Your Life have been presenting transformative events with some of the world's leading spiritual teachers. Experience a Celebrate Your Life event for yourself, October 31st to November 4th in beautiful Sedona, Arizona. Explore your spirituality and open your mind to some new ideas. These events are awesome soul fests that heal and transform. Log on to CelebrateYourLife.com to find out more. Did you know Unity has published a new book by Eric Butterworth? This wonderful writer and teacher, who is loved by so many people, left a recorded class called Practical Metaphysics that has now been turned into a book. It's Vintage Butterworth. He explains how to live from a deeper state of consciousness and awaken to health, love, prosperity, and peace of mind. Practical Metaphysics. Find it online by going to unity.org and click shop. Do you dread going to work every day and just pray for Friday? Get a fresh perspective on your career with Mo Fall and bring your soul to work every Thursday at 11 a.m. Central, 12 p.m. Eastern, here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. A leadership mentor and career coach, Mo can help you go from underpaid, unsatisfied, and unappreciated to loving your life and career again. Join the show and let Mo guide you to make some real life changes. Tune in every Thursday here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett.
Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We'll resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And prior to the break, we were discussing uh, self-centeredness and the spiritual principle of anonymity, which can lead us from a self-centered kind of life to a life of serenity. And Lonnie, so now that we know that the challenge is self-centeredness and the solution is the spiritual principle of anonymity, how exactly can we use anonymity to co-create a life of serenity? Well, you know, one of the things about anonymity is that it stresses equality. Nobody's better than anybody else, and nobody's worse than anybody else. And when I understood that finally, I understood that how that I can use that as a tool is, is first of all, stop doing some things I've been doing. Like, don't talk about other people. You know, uh, don't gossip. Um, I, don't, I don't have the privilege to talk about things that I don't have direct experience with. And, and that helped me to stay out of all the trauma drama that had been creating chaos in my life and helped me start setting boundaries to stay on my own side of the road. One way that anonymity helped me to, you know, move out of uh, being mostly self-oriented, we'll say, into definitely a life of more balance and serenity is, as we were talking about before the break, it helped me balance the me with the we. And to to realize that, you know, each each person in the group matters uh, and the group matters. And it's not that any one person gets to dominate, but then again, uh, every voice is, is, is a part of it too. So no one gets ignored. And so one way that it helped me, that sort of learning to go from me to we, is, is in a willingness to participate, you know, and just be a part of things. Uh, earlier in my life when I was... Uh, more self-oriented, I really wasn't interested in participating. Um, maybe because it was too, you know, it's like emotionally complicated. If I'm participating, then there are other people around and they want to do things and they're going to talk about what they want to do. And I basically didn't have the capacity to manage all that internally. So I tended to stick to myself. But when I got in recovery, I became willing to participate in things and to uh, let anonymity make it about us and not so much about me. And that was very helpful along the way in creating a life of serenity. You know, speaking of participation, for me, it was not just going to meetings. It was participating in the whole experience, which meant I actually did the work you know, it meant I actually got a sponsor. It meant I did the writing that was that was asked of me. And when I was given a task list of things to do on a daily basis that would assist me in moving forward in my recovery, that I actually did those things. And so that willingness uh, moved me forward. And, and that was not the end of it either. That was on a personal level, what about me? But then there's what about the group? If nobody participates in the business meeting, there is no business. 
you know, the, the, the coffee doesn't get purchased and the, the rooms don't get cleaned and, and things like that. And so I was encouraged to start into service work. And what that looked like was participating at the local level in my own group in the activities there. And then it leaked over into having fun. Oh, there's a camping trip? Well, maybe I should think about going on that as well instead of just segregating myself off in the corner and being too good to, to participate in these things. Yeah, I'm reminded how, in many ways, growth, spiritual growth for me has just been a willingness to be uncomfortable. Because anytime I'm, I'm, if I want to have a different result, I need to have some different inputs, right? I need to, I need to bake a different recipe if I want a different cake. And doing anything different, just given the way I was wired, and I think many of us in recovery are, uh, was inherently uncomfortable. You know, if that was something that I wanted to do, I would have done it before, but I didn't want to because it was uncomfortable. Um, One of the ways that I was willing to be uncomfortable is to let things in the group. You know, when I I say the group, I am thinking of a recovery group, but it could be any group. It could be uh, amongst my neighbors, right? It could be in my family, any group of us, anywhere that that multiple people are involved, uh, willing I, I experienced a willingness to let things go a different way than maybe the way I was thinking that they should go. And that took a, um, you know, a certain amount of, I don't know, faith in, in safety or uh, an expectation of safety, if you will, that it would, th- it would be okay if things went differently than what I was thinking they might need to go. And if I'm, if I'm, bringing up some courage, if you will, I can be willing to keep, you know, to stay engaged and to stay involved, even if things go a different way than I was thinking maybe they should go. And it didn't take too many of those to realize that, you know, even though it went uh, different than I was thinking this time or that time, everything was okay. And I'm okay. The group was okay. Everything's fine. That helped me the next time and the next time. And so just willing to be uncomfortable in that way, uh, let it not be all about me for a time. That is a way that anonymity, in, in that sense of, you know, not, not the sense that says nobody knows I'm here, but in the sense that says it doesn't have to be all about me. Uh, let the people be anonymous and the principles um, be in the driver's seat. I really like that. Growth is at the edge of our comfort zone. Yeah. I don't remember who said it, but they kind of put that in a encapsulated that. And, and I find that to be true as well. And, you know, one time I was told um, that I have this, you know, I have this inherent distrust at that time of the world, of people, of situations and circumstances. And I was told, I think in frustration, and it may have been by my therapist, something about, you know, I can make a choice. I have the power to make a different choice. I can choose to walk into this group that I'm uncomfortable in and decide I'm going to trust them and then wait for somebody to prove they're not trustworthy. Or I can walk into this group distrusting everybody and be uncomfortable the whole time and hope that somebody can earn my trust. You know, and the way that she put that was, it was a little better than what I just said, but the way she put that to me, it made a lot of sense. And I'm going, I am going to practice trusting people. I'm going to walk in I couldn't assume yet, but I could practice pretending it was all going to be okay. And that's where I had to start. Um, it was not going to be okay because so-and-so was there. It was going to be okay because 
principle was there. You know, send God in first, operate on spiritual principles, and and let that lead the conversation, not my fear. Yeah, I can. That that takes a, a lot of um, courage and faith because what I'm hearing is that you are setting aside the need to feel safe out of the gate, uh, setting that aside, and and being willing to take a risk. You know, in this case, well, what if I what if I assume that so and so is trustworthy, and then I find out they're not? Okay, so you found out they're not, but that takes a lot. Of, I think that takes a lot of faith and a lot of um, you know, letting go. I'm, I'm thinking of how that feels in me, uh, letting go of the need to know ahead of time that what I'm going to do is okay or meaning safe to do and to go into something that's uh, more unknown. I think that takes a lot. I, I know that uh, I developed a willingness somewhere along the, along the line to be wrong. I talked before about how it was very difficult for me to be wrong because that really tended to shake my whole sense of okayness in the world, which was based on understanding how stuff worked. And so uh, I learned to be willing to be wrong and to not have that be a problem. Those two things don't necessarily go together, but um, I'm glad to say that I found a way for them to go together. And I can put wrong in quotes. You know, every everything's a lot more flexible than I realized at the time. And then the corollary to that is I was willing to let other people be wrong and, and not have that be a problem either. And uh, one irony of all that is sometimes when I was willing to let them be wrong and have it be okay, uh, they weren't wrong. And, and maybe I wasn't seeing things quite as clearly as I could have. And just so that whole concept of, you know, who's got it right and, oh, they're wrong and, no, oh, that's the wrong decision and, no, we shouldn't do that and we should buy this uh, brand of um, uh, toilet paper or, or whatever supplies, cups that the, that the meeting needs. You know, just let it go. So what? What if I'm wrong? So what? Maybe they're wrong. So what? You know, let's just decide something that feels right for us and move ahead and see what happens. And what always happened was, everyone was okay. And that was a revelation for me. You know, one of the situations that came up frequently uh, for me in early recovery was there would be something going on and I didn't know what it was. And of course that triggers fear. And so I'd walk into the, to the meeting and somebody would be upset or there'd be chit chat about something that I had no clue about, which, which fueled the fear. And then my reaction to that would be to ask somebody, well, what's going on? Well, what happened? Well, well, who said that? And, you know, which stirs the pot. Then it creates a triangle because if I repeated that to somebody else, then they said, I said, he said, and it gets to be a really big tangled up mess. And after falling in that hole a couple of times, I learned that it's none of my business <laughs> unless somebody wants to tell me directly they get to choose to break their anonymity around this subject, whatever it is, and share with me if I have a need to know. And so, you know, that was a, that was a really uh, difficult learning experience. And then the other thing that happens around that is sometimes somebody will uh, tell me something and it's kind of tucked in the back of my brain, oh, they, they know about this. And then uh, somebody else comes along and they need to know that that other person knows. Well, I can't tell that story. It's not mine to tell. You know, that's triangulation again. And so I have I have learned to say, you know, I think it'd be really helpful if you went and talked to so-and-so. End of story. Period. Nothing else. I don't tell their story. I just give them a ref reference. Yeah, and I think that's really challenging because even in the name of being helpful, 
sometimes we'll want to cross those lines and we can um, get sucked into a, a drama. And I can see, I can picture what you're describing, you know, show up 10 minutes early for the meeting and, oh, and there's this hubbub going on over there. There's some energy around some topic or other and just wanting to go in and say, Ooh, what's going on? Who did what? What's happening? What's the dirt? What's the juice? And instead just, uh, you know, ignoring it, like you said, you know, moving, moving along, like as if it weren't happening because it, it is none of my business. And if I am, if I do need to be involved in some way, that will become clear. I don't need to go inquire about whether I need to be involved or not. Uh, it'll, it'll come up if I need to be involved. Uh, one way that comes to mind also, and I mentioned this before, is uh, realizing that the group uh, functioned perfectly well without me. Uh, you know, for however many decades that the group uh, was in place, um, they did perfectly well without me. And so once again, it didn't have to be all about me. I could be a part of it. I could be an equal part of it. I could be co-equal with everyone else in the group. Uh, didn't matter if one person had been there 20 plus years, another person had been there two weeks. It, it didn't matter. Each of us uh, was part of it. Um, the group is whoever walks in the door, right? The only requirement to join is the desire to stop drinking. So whoever's there, that's the group. Um, I saw that come up once in a business meeting where there, I don't even remember what the issue was, but some people were, were thinking, well, we shouldn't decide this now because so-and-so old timer is not here or, or this other old timer is not here. And, and someone else said, hey man, this is the group. Look around the room. This is the group. If so-and-so or what's-his-name needed to be a part of this decision, they need to show up at this meeting and be a part of it. We don't put off decisions because someone is or isn't here. That's putting personalities ahead of principles. The principle is we are the group, all of us. And so we can make whatever decisions need to be made. And, and we'll be fine. You know, if we, quote, did it wrong, whatever that means, so what? It'll, it'll get turned around the next time. This, this ship writes itself over and over and over, no matter which of us are here. I'm pretty sure that when I was heavily active in that home group, I'm thinking of nobody who was a founding member of that group was there. Nobody was there. They'd been decades gone, I think. And look, and it's still working. Wow, it's not about me. Yay. <laughs> yeah, it's if if it operates by principle, the group survives. If it operates yeah. on personality, as soon as the founder leaves, it dies. Yes, you know, and we we have many many uh, examples of that, and and you can point to all kinds of different types of groups where that's the case. You know, if it's if it's on the strength of the leader, then or the founder, um, you know, it falls apart when they leave. If it's on the strength of principles you know, that are supporting that, then it doesn't because people know how to, to do what they need to do. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about is that um, how do you, you know, we, we come into the program and I didn't know how to have a relationship of any kind. You know, it talks about that in the literature. It says that, you know, this, this, we, we just didn't do well with relationships. And, and I was lonely 
I was single, that those were not necessarily connected, but I didn't have uh, a lot of um, outside friends because I had limited my friends to the people that I was out carousing with. And so now I've eliminated those folks from my life because it's not good for me to get sucked back into that same type of behavior. Now what am I going to do? Who am I going to talk to? Who can I share with? And so I found myself in relationships with other people who were equally inept at forming true relationships and found myself um, struggling. And the struggle was, um, I mentioned before I was a scorekeeper. What can you do for me? You know, we're clicking because I see something in you that you can do for me and you see something in me that I can do for you. And so we've struck a bargain. We've called it friendship. That's not friendship. But I didn't know that. And we have to practice in order to learn how to have healthier friendships, you know? And so these inauthentic relationships I found in my life were because they were based on, you know, uh, unequality. They were based on a power position. I've got something or you've got something. It was not based on a a one among many, one one of the bunch, hey, we're just both in the same boat trying to survive here, trying to get clean and sober, uh, trying to learn how to work this program. And so I had a lot, a lot of work to do on that to to understand what are my motives for forming this relationship with this person, whether it was just I always sit by them at the table, you know, or whether it's because they they make a lot more money than I do. And I'd sure like to learn how they did that. You know, I'm all at that point. I was always out for what's in it for me. One way that I was able to make that shift slowly over time from always being self-oriented to letting principles, being part of the group, letting everyone be co-equal, including me, was, and this was hard for me because I'm I'm naturally wired for understanding. Uh, it's important. If I don't understand what's going on, I feel just inherently unsafe and uncomfortable. So I've made a life study out of uh, understanding things. I'm really, really good at it. But that doesn't mean I'm going to understand everything. There are some things that that, the approach of, quote, understanding has nothing to do with it. So I realized that it's okay not to understand everything that's happening because I was part of a group. And it wasn't all about me. It was about us. It wasn't about um, any particular person. It was about the group and the principles of the group and whoever happened to be participating at that time. Uh, it was just fine. And so that's a way that anonymity moved from you know, that early understanding, hope nobody realizes that I'm here or knows that I'm here, into the, uh, to the broader principles over personalities. And, and the way that I heard this expressed best, that I loved and that I, always comes back to me, is that we can all have a bad day, but we're not on the same day. And so if somebody is having a hard time, that's okay. There are probably a lot of people in the group who are not having a hard time on that particular day. We, can, we all have a bad day, but fortunately, we don't all have a bad day on the same day. And so it's okay if I'm feeling a little bit uh, under the weather, emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever. It's okay if I don't understand everything that's happening, because it's not just about me. Uh, the principle, the spiritual principle of anonymity says it's about us. And again, you know, what a relief, what a so much better way to live. So grateful for that. You know, you reminded me with that about, you know, the times my first seven years in the program, I was a mess because I got to the program and then my life fell apart. 
and um, you know emotionally and and I didn't have much of a spiritual life at that point in time and I learned just to suit up and show up I just learned that I had to be there I needed to be there whether I was having a good day whether I was having a bad day whether I was having a bad string of days that um, that was an important piece for me to learn that um, I'm one among many that everybody, as you mentioned, has a bad day from time to time. Others have been where I have been. I am not unique. I am not special in that way. If they got through it, I can get through it. You know, all of those factors uh, played into that for me. And, um, you know, and that was just uh, a significant piece of I had to be there to hear those things. Something that helped me to get to that place of, uh, I don't know, I think of it as okayness, um, is just growing in spirituality and in faith. You know, I've heard people talk sometimes in a 12-step meeting about the, the spiritual part of the program, and then I've heard others say there is no spiritual part of this program. The whole thing is spiritual, and I absolutely know that that's true. And so just by being willing to participate in uh, the recovery process helped me to form and develop a spiritual identity, uh, develop spirituality, and along with that comes faith. You know, and faith just, when I say faith, I don't mean, you know, faith that what this or that says in the Bible is true or, or whatnot, whatever it may or may not be, that's not relevant. It's faith that everything is okay. Everything's going to be okay, regardless of my perception of it, as long as I keep showing up, like you said, suit up and show up in faith. And even if it, even if it comes down to what we call acting as if, well, let me, let me, how, how, what would it be like if I was okay in the world? Well, let me pretend that I was okay. Let me act like I'm okay in the world just to try it on for size. You know, and I had trouble with that at first because I thought, isn't that dishonest? Am, am I not pretending to be something that I'm not in the world if I'm act, acting as if? Or that phrase, fake it till you make it, isn't that disingenuous? Uh, I guess it could be depending on, like you said before, my motive. But if my motive is to change my experience in the world and not to fool somebody, um, I think it's a, a wonderful approach that allows me to, you know, kind of do an experiment to lean a little bit on my growing spirituality and to lean a little bit on my faith and to be okay in uncertainty just by, you know, let me try it out. Let me act as if, let's see what happens. I'll be okay. And that process is uh, slow, was for me, and it is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. I didn't wake up one day and feel okay in the world. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it was very much a, well, they said if I did this, that it would work out. Okay, so I tried that. Oh, and it worked out. Well, I had to do that three or four or ten times, and then I had a little bit of faith. Oh, they told me to do that. It'll work out, you know, um, and then it was the next thing, whatever the thing was, and and so my faith grew really kind of slowly based out of experience, you know, that I could trust that when they said, make a decision based on principle, it'll be fine. That every time I did that, it turned out fine. And, and so I had the experience of principles, not personalities. Principles would guide me in a, in a more 
truer fashion than personalities ever did. And some of the principles that I was told was one of them was a very easy one to remember was think. And we've talked about this before, T-H-I-N-K. And the first one of those is thoughtful. Is what I'm about to say or do thoughtful? Because that's just about the opposite of self-centered. When and you know when I think about that, is that thoughtful? Well, I'm not being very thoughtful. Okay, maybe I better not do that. You know that that can guide my behavior. Um, you know, that, and and yeah, all of them would fall that way. That is a good litmus test. So let's now move into action, though, because unity's fifth principle states it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. That means we must take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from overemphasis on self, putting it nicely, to a life of serenity using the principle of anonymity. So think of a way that you might be overly focused on self. Could you be more willing to be of service to others? Maybe you could be a better listening ear to your friends and relatives. Or are you always too concerned about what's in it for me? What's important is to pick one thing, and preferably something simple, to focus on in this exercise. The idea is to relax and to let it be easy, and there's no need to struggle. You can take what you learn here today into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find peace. So let's use the example of being more willing to be helpful to others without expectation of reward. So use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to a habit of self-focus. You could say something like, old habits of self-centeredness are not the truth of who I am. Repeat it a few times in your head or say it aloud and say it with conviction. Old habits of self-centeredness are not the truth of who I am. And follow that up immediately with a bold, positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I am loving and giving with limitless potential. I serve others in joy and in faith. And then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope you found something to help you on your recovery path. And we both bless you on your journey. Thank you for our listeners, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for all the insights shared in our discussion today. Listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey. 
and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.